they were kind of wondering like, hey, are you, because they could tell I was hanging out with the Mormons more and um, they were wondering if I was interested, if I was actually really interested. And originally I kind of told them, no, I wish I would have been more honest, but I wrote this letter out to them and put it on their desk and I left it for them to read in the morning. I was living at home and, you know, the next morning uh, they, they knocked on my door and woke up and it was as if like I, you know, a death had happened in the family or something. It was really, really hard for them. I resisted the uh, temptation when I was talking with Tony to go, Tony, Tony. So hopefully he listens to this episode because I wanted to do that so much. I don't I don't know why. Call it, uh, you know, one of those earworms that gets stuck in my head. But I just want to be like, Tony, Tony, come on. You can't possibly love being able to talk about his project, The Restoration Table. Uh, there is a link to it in the show notes. I hope you guys check it out. You'll hear what that's all about and love being able to spotlight yet another Another new and up-and-coming project uh, within the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints online and listening space. I hope you guys will check it out. I hope you'll listen to the entirety of this episode. I hope if you have other things that you feel like we should be highlighting and sharing with all of you, that you will email us, contact at theculturalhall.com. Now, I hope that you'll excuse me because I'm going to go ahead and, and share this episode of The Cultural Hall. It's time for another episode of The Cultural Hall, and you know, you hear me in the start of episodes say, hey, if you want to be on an episode of The Cultural Hall, or you know someone that might be a great episode for The Cultural Hall, you can always email us, contact at theculturalhall.com, and you, 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 maybe you wonder, huh, I wonder if anyone ever emails that, or you wonder... You know, I wonder if this guest is from someone that uh, emailed into the show. Well, worry and and wonder no more. Uh, Tony Fieldson, who is from The Restoration Table, we'll find out about that project, is here. And it's because, well, sort of, we're going to shoehorn this in. We're going to say it's because of an email. There's a much longer story. Tony, welcome to the Cultural Hall. Hey, glad to be here. Thanks so much, Richie. Now, uh, to be able to connect with you, obviously you have a project. I'm excited to, to know more about the restoration table, what it is and what you hope to get there. But here's the deal. I don't know you. We just saw each other for the first time face-to-face mere moments ago. And so before I let you come in and climb up on the old cultural hall Rammy Umptum, I'm going to have to find out yeah. a little bit more about you. So, so where are you from? Who are you? I'm from Southern California, born and raised in Orange County. And uh, I'm a history and Spanish teacher. I teach at junior high in there in the trenches with those kiddos. And uh, it's definitely a challenging but important work. Yeah, can and I, I'm married. I have two I, little girls. Hold, hold on. You just, breeze just past the ju- you just breeze past the junior high. Why in the, <laughs> why in the world? Like everyone stop for a second and think about how you were in junior high. And this guy voluntarily goes into that space on a daily basis. Why, yeah. why that age? You can... Get some accreditation and teach at high school, or maybe you don't even right. need that. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, it wasn't exactly voluntarily, but so my mom's a kindergarten teacher. She's my hero, and uh, she really gets a lot of fulfillment out of her job. I was originally actually out of high school for four years, but I got surplus, which means I was low on the totem pole. They didn't have enough enrollment. So thankfully, I still have a job, but I got shipped off to another school. Thankfully, I really like the school, though. And, you know, there's pros and cons, you know, between middle school and high school, but um, I don't necessarily prefer one over the other. Really? It's fun. I'm kind of a goofy, I'm kind of a goofy guy myself. So I like being goofy with the kids and, you know, throwing in some sarcasm in there a little bit. They don't always get it, but sometimes they do. And, you know, uh, it, it's fun. Sometimes high school kids can be a little bit too cool, yeah. you know, and they don't really need that connection with the teacher as much. So I feel like I can really, uh, you know, these kids just barely came out of elementary school, man. They're cute. 
Mm-hmm. They're definitely cute. <laughs> I, I've heard if you can if you can make a connection with a middle school kid, like that's when you're most likely going to influence their life. But yeah. the, for for the one that you connect with, there's the 99 that are like nerd, hey geeky yep. teacher, oh that yeah, kind of thing. Oh yeah. And nowadays with social media, you got kids. If they don't like you, they'll create a fake social media account about you and all this drama. I mean, it's just a whole new world we're in, man. <laughs> <laughs> How awesome. So fun. So fun for note. You mentioned uh, married and you have a couple kids. Where'd you meet your wife? So uh, I'll get into that, you know, when I talk about my story, but I met her at an institute class hmm. uh, a couple months after I got baptized. And uh, then some other stuff happened after that. I went on a mission and and uh, we, we we got back together after that. I'll tell more details later. But we have a, a girl that just turned five years old and another girl that's three. And I am just over the moon. I, I didn't grow up with any sisters. And just having two little princess daughters is just too much for my heart to take. So, do you get that uh, dad anxiety when you think about them like getting old enough to be able to date or being able to leave? Where I've heard it starts yeah. pretty young, where you're like, oh, I love yeah. them. They're so cute. And then that flash of like 10 years later when you're like, oh yeah. my gosh, they're going to be out on dates. And uh, yeah, I get it a little bit. I'm pretty good at, at, uh, at being in denial, but every once in a while, I'll have. Uh, <laughs> dreams or nightmares i don't know what you want to call it of you know giving a speech at their wedding and stuff and just just being really emotional and yeah i'm glad i I, you know time goes by fast but i'm also glad that it kind of goes by slowly as well i'm just trying to freeze them in this moment right now so and and where do you live now where are you located still in southern california i mean i don't know how specifically you know but i'm in fountain valley right now and i grew up in los alamitos just uh, south of long beach so so does does the new uh the new temple does that affect you the yorba linda temple uh, not really. I'm, I'm nearby the Newport temple. Okay. So okay. yeah, the York Belinda temple is like kind of like an hour inland. So, yeah. but yeah, it's pretty exciting though. How yeah. closer. Yeah. For us, for us that don't live in Southern California, we just sort of lump you all into the same it's Southern California and the same like liberal, you know, we, we take all of our assumptions, you're super right. chill, you're liberal. And it's all just like, you know, it's just like the East coast, right? Southern right. California is just the East Coast, not like the people, but we just go and go, oh, there's different regions and cities and towns. We just go. Yeah, it is funny. Well, thing. yeah. So L.A. is about 30 minutes north of me, and that's a very liberal city. But I'm in Orange County, which is the most one of the most conservative counties in the whole state. So well, it's interesting. Well, well. Yep. So you dangled it out there that uh, after you converted you, uh, you know, into a, in, an institute class. So I want you to dial it all back and I want to hear uh, your conversion story, if that's what you want to call okay. it or how you found the church or however you want to kind of label it. Sounds good. Interrupt me, ask any questions along the way, because sometimes I could just go on and on. I know you already are good at doing that. <laughs> so, so I'll take that as a compliment, not I'm just teasing. No, no, that is. Yeah. That's that's what's needed. You need you need to do that as a as a podcaster. I it's a good thing. Um so I uh I was born um uh my parents baptized my brother and I Catholic. My mom is Cuban, hundred percent Cuban. Her parents were born in Cuba. They have so many crazy stories of supporting Castro when he seemed like he was going to be great back in the day. Wow. I could go into all that. My grandma had to go rescue her dad out of jail illegally and bring him back to the United States after Castro took over. All these crazy stuff. Um, my grandparents are both um, physicians for like 40 years, and my grandma got the Purple Heart Award. And wow. um, I'm very, very proud of my Cuban heritage. They raised eight kids here in the United States. And um, anyway, so they're just great people, uh, very strong Catholic tradition. My mom was um, not very active in the Catholic church, but I think they baptized my brother and I just kind of out of tradition. Um, we didn't really go to church at all growing up. My dad was not really raised with any religion. So we, we just went on holidays, I think, to kind of please my, my grandparents. But um, right about the time I got in high school, 
But my, my parents were just incredible people, though. Uh, my mom's a teacher. My dad's a marriage and family therapist. And they raised my brother and I with really great principles, even though uh, we never, you know, prayed or read scriptures or sure. anything like that. Sure. So yeah, we don't we, um, we don't own the market on good people. Exactly. Yeah. I know. Right. <laughs> um, sometimes people, you know, um, sometimes that, people say yeah. it and they're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Those people are wrong. <laughs> yeah. So but uh, right about the time I, I was in high school, um, my mom especially was seeking out God. She kind of wanted that relationship again. She was going through some tough times. So we ended up finding one of those big mega evangelical churches with the rock band, all that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. Um, and it was really great. Um, my mom really enjoyed it, especially my dad, and my brother and I kind of caught on a little bit more as time went on. Um, I was kind of going through a tough time. I was, you know, um, getting bullied a little bit in school and, uh, you know, going through some depression, um, later on in college, I was going through a really, really dangerous downward spiral of bad choices. Um, and so my mom actually invited me to go to El Salvador on a missions trip hmm. and they were going to build houses and give out medical aid and teach the kids about Christ and witness. So I went there and I got to be, you know, kind of like a missionary witnessing the, the message of Jesus. And um, it was a huge, huge, impactful experience on me. So I came back. Hold on, hold on, hold on. What does that look like timeline? You know, when people think of mission and they think of our church, they think an 18 months or a six month increment, a yeah. couple weeks. It was just a week. Okay, yeah. week. Nice. Yeah, it was a week. So, yeah, and some people go for longer. It just sure. depends. So, um, but, just incredible experiences to see how the poverty, I mean, you wouldn't even imagine. And just the people were just so amazing and so grateful and so humble. Some people had never had shoes before, and mm-hmm. we gave them their first pair of shoes. I mean, just talk, stuff like that. So, um, really planted a huge seed in me. And I came back, and they kind of, uh, you know, they were kind of impressed by some of the leadership skills, I guess, that I, you know, displayed on in El Salvador and they asked me to be part of the high school ministry. So for a while, I forget exactly how long, a couple months at least, I started helping them to lead the high school ministry and witnessing to these kids and and teaching them about the Christian message and and mentoring these kids and it was a really great experience. Is is and, that uh, essentially like seminary? I mean, not really um, like structured like the classes, but like you're being like a youth pastor or like there's like yeah. classes with the youth like youth Sunday school? It's kind of like, yeah, it's kind of like a youth pastor type thing. Okay. Um, so we're there on Sundays with them, but then also they did a Wednesday night thing too. So, and they did a lot of fun activities and worship and all kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, it was, it was really cool. And uh, at the same time, I actually had a couple of Mormon friends. Is that okay if I use that word on the yeah, show? Yeah, of course. Make it easier. Of course. <laughs> so one I met in high school and um, he actually invited me to his, you know, farewell speech. And then uh, he came back from his mission and, uh, that's right about the time I started becoming a lot more active in the evangelical church, participating with the high school ministry. So I started asking him questions too. Hey, what about your church? And um, I also had another friend that I met in college. I was working at the Claim Dripper restaurant in Long Beach. Not sure if you've ever heard of that restaurant, but it's uh, really good stuff. They have a little bit of everything and huge portions. And um, so I met her there and uh, she actually invited me to go to the Institute of Religion, which I'd never heard about before. So there's one in Huntington Beach. She kept bugging me, bugging me. Hey, come to this institute. They have ping pong there and all this stuff. So um, <laughs> I finally went. It was like a seven in the morning class. I'm like, you're crazy. It was like the institute council. It wasn't even actual class. It was like the, anyway, but she, I met the she, teacher and. Um, hold on, yeah. hold on. I love that she yeah. led with ping pong. I mean, we, yeah, exactly. we, we have the everlasting gospel, but she's like, but ping pong. I mean, uh, we go at seven. You can't, the, the line for the ping pong table gets super long later. If you come early with me, oh, uh, oh, I mean, and we'll teach gospel principles as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, she definitely drew me in with that one because I, I think she knew I liked people. So, um, so it was great. And I, I went there and the teacher, he's like, hey, you know, nice to meet you. What's your name? And he asked me what my last name was. And uh, my last name is Gilson. And he's like, oh, how do you spell that? You know, and he wrote it on the board and it's F-I-E. 
LDS O N. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, whoa, LDS right in the middle there. That's uh, that's interesting. That's like a that might be a sign or something. <laughs> anyway, it was kind of funny, but um, so you know, a little bit after that. My friend invited me to her house as she was the oldest of six girls. I got to see their family, their family, just incredible people. You know, they invited me to check out their family home evenings that they had going on and stuff. And I just felt a very, you know, loving, peaceful spirit there. They they also invited me to go to general conference just out of the blue. I wasn't even investigating the church or anything. And so I I went with them. I I was interested. It was October of 2006. Now, when you say you went, so uh, 2006, you're still going to the church to watch it and they do like food between that kind of thing? Uh, No, I mean like to Utah. Oh, 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 wow. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. That is a bold invitation. Here I am thinking like we're going to go to the steakhouse and they do ice cream afterwards. You'll love it. And no ping pong table, but you might enjoy it. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So, uh, yeah, I, I went and, uh, you know, we, we went to the Saturday morning session. I remember Elder Piper, who I think is still in the 70s, uh, member of the 70s, he talked, his talk was called The First Generation. And he talked about what a blessing it could be to your first generation members. You can bless your posterity and your family and your ancestors and all that. And for some reason, I just kind of felt like he was talking to me. It was really weird. I, I didn't expect it. You know, we, we did the whole Temple Square tour and watched the Joseph Smith movie and, you know, went to the This is the Place Monument and, um, I remember going to Deseret Book and I was pretty impressed, like all these cool books, these interesting sounding titles. And I, I got a couple books, started reading the Book of Mormon for the first time. Hmm. And uh, anyway, it was just it was a very impactful experience. I, 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 you know, I felt the spirit a lot, even though at the time I didn't really I, I didn't really know that's exactly what it was. But so I came back and I was kind of puzzled. I'm like, hmm, I'm all of a sudden on, on fire with this evangelical uh, church recently. And now. Now I've got this other thing that's influencing me. What's going on? So I was attending Cal State Long Beach at the time, and I was reading an essay for one of my classes, like a 40-page essay or something. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the essay, I just stopped. I'm like, just kind of in my heart, praying to God, like, this whole restoration thing, like, what's going on? And back in those days, I don't know why, but I like, I would write out my prayers on a piece of paper. So I wrote out a prayer. I'm like, hey, God, did this restoration thing really happen? Like, I was really interested. And um so I started reading, you know, I, I, I kept reading the essay, you know, I, I began to read the next sentence and the very next sentence I read, the word restoration was in that sentence. Mm. And that just kind of jumped out at me. I'm like, okay, that's kind of random. Did my brain subconsciously know that? And that's why I stopped. Or is that coincidence? Anyway, so I went to school the next day and all of a sudden another thought popped in my head and I'm like, Hey, you know, what? I, I went to the Institute of Religion over in Huntington Beach. Now I'm in Long Beach. I heard they have institutes of religion at every campus. So maybe I could find out where that is and ask them some more questions. And I had been attending Cal State Long Beach for two years and I had never known where the Institute was. So um, I wrote a little note to myself and I put it in my pocket and uh, I went to my first class of the day. I was getting ready to go to my second class. I turned the corner. All of a sudden, right in front of me was a, uh, a booth that was set up with a big sign above it that said, welcome to the Institute. And there were two <laughs> missionaries there, uh, two members of the local ward. And I Later found out that was the first time, the first day they put up that booth the whole year. Wow. And that was the same day I had that, that um, you know, inspiration to write the note. At that point, I'm like looking up in the sky. Okay, what's going on here? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so, so yeah. Um, I don't know if you want to pause there for a second. There's, I could just keep going on. No, but... I listen. I say keep going. So anyway, you know, that propelled me into, you know, I, I uh, found out where the Institute was. It turns out that the Institute director that I met in, in Huntington Beach was now the new Institute director at Cal State Long Beach. So I already knew uh, him. We had uh, of connection. course. And he writes your name back up on the board. And it's yeah, like, right? nah, oh, yeah. Nah, Fieldson, no. LDS. He did. Yeah. Oh, he did? <laughs> he, told that, he remembered that story. And he, he I, don't, I don't remember if it was, had been like a year or two in the past, but 
Oh yeah, he 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 talked about it multiple times. Um, he's actually now my current father-in-law, which I'll get to in a second. What? Wait, what? <laughs> There's a teaser. Okay. I got to got to get keep you in suspense. So, um, you know, so really from there on, I just launched this like six-month investigation, um, attending the you know evangelical church in the mornings at nine a.m., attending the singles ward in the afternoon, and kind of just doing a compare and contrast. And um, I'll go into a couple details in a second, but just the way I, I like to sum it up is. The quality and the quantity of the things I learned, the spirit I felt, and the associations I made was just so much more um, compelling to me in, in the Latter-day Saint church. So, um, you know, well, a couple well, of different examples, I, I, yeah. As you were looking at the at the different things and, and certainly investigating, and man, to take six months and, and sort of mull it all over and really, truly investigate, I would be curious, was there something um, within the LDS church that you were like, I don't know about that yet, like a sticking point, or was it just, I don't know enough about any of this yet to make any sort of action? Yeah, there, there were a couple things. Um, I remember just the, the first thing that just kind of jumped out at me is uh, when, I, when I looked at the quad, so to speak, I see that they put their scriptures side by side, the biblical scriptures. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, wow, that's pretty presumptuous. You guys think your, your stuff is, is on par with the Bible kind of thing. I just remember that, that initial thought. Um, I remember reading the Doctrine and Covenants the first time and I'm like, how do we know this is God's actual words? Because then it's been just Joseph Smith just saying, thus saith the Lord. I remember that first impression. Um, I was also very influenced by a great question, by the way. I was also very influenced by a very, popular evangelical pastor uh rick warren who's uh, also in orange county saddleback church huge church and he wrote a book called purpose driven life which um at least at the time had sold more copies than any other book in history besides the bible um and um i remember reading that and in there he talks about how it's blasphemous for some churches to think that we can become gods one day so i remember asking that just yeah those a couple things yeah i, I mean um, just you know just god the god theory i mean MBT. yeah right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh so yeah, I, you know, um, some of the things that really hit me were um, the testimony meetings. Just, I mean, I, I remember in the, the evangelical church, you know, there were a couple times where I felt a very, uh, you know, excited and very moved, you know, mm-hmm. kind of pumped up kind of spirit. You know, they get you pretty pumped up with the worship songs. And I remember a couple times I, I, I would have what you would call kind of like born, I don't know, you know, born again experiences or whatever, where they would do an altar call and say, anybody who really feels like they're in need right now needs Jesus in their life. And wants to turn their life over to Jesus, come up in front of the congregation. And, and I did that one time, I remember. Um, and uh, so I had some cool moments like that, but, you know, testimony meetings, I mean, the spirit just flooded into my heart. I mean, really deep feelings of peace and love and joy, like, like I'd never experienced before. Same thing with reading the book of Mormon. Um, as I just chewed on that a little bit day by day and dove into it, um, I really felt this incredible just spirit just, you know, enlarging in my heart, kind of like it says in Alma 32. And, and I could tell, like, I could tell my, my, my family could, could feel that I was showing, you know, more love to them and all kind of stuff. So, um, and also um, I read the entire gospel principles manual. And at that time I was just like, wow, all these extra puzzle pieces that, you know, (laughs) I remember, you know, they do a really great job in the evangelical church talking about the grace of Jesus and all that kind of stuff, which that's, you know, the most important thing. Sure. Right. Um, I think sometimes we get lost in the weeds too, too, too much in our church with all the other, you know, commandments and things, but um, they don't, they don't necessarily um, have a lot of answers though, for like where we came from and, and what is our nature and what is our true purpose on the earth and, sure. and exactly how Jesus can save us and, and, and what our potential is all that kind of stuff. So just seeing those extra puzzle pieces was very interesting to me as well. Um, and so, you know, um, after a while, I, I, I told my parents that I wanted to get baptized, you know, and they were kind of wondering like, Hey, are you, cause they could tell I was hanging out with the Mormons more and 
Um, they were wondering if I was interested, if I was actually really interested. And originally I kind of told them, no, I wish I would have been more honest, but I wrote this letter out to them and put it on their desk and I left it for them to read in the morning. I was living at home and no, I couldn't be- sleep all night. No, because you were afraid how they would react because it's not the familial tradition because they hadn't been along the journey to know where you're coming yeah, from. All, I guess kind of all of the above. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so anyway, there, so there, you there, write them a letter and then they're like, yeah. peace out. I'm out. See you later. Yeah, I know. Well, I, I wrote a, I wrote a letter, put them on their, on their desk and I, I lived, I lived with them. So, you know, the next morning uh, they, they knocked on my door and woke up and it was as if like I, you know, a death had happened in the family or something. It was really, really hard for them. And um, they had actually already received a book from the pastor, their pastor, because I think they knew I was kind of getting interested. So they received a book called Mormonism 101, um, which kind of sounds like this unbiased just survey of the church, but it's a completely, you know, critical book. Um, and so, you know, they read to me many parts of the book and they're just completely concerned for me. And um, anyway, so... You know, what I ended up doing is I, I ended up not getting baptized at the point. I, I put it off for a few months because I wanted to respect them sure. and let them share their concerns with me. And I also brought along some people from the church that were very, you know, I, I had learned a lot and I had felt a lot, but I wasn't very skilled in articulating w- what I felt. So I had a couple of my friends come and talk to them. Um, I remember there's one time where I had a meeting with them and the associate pastor um, and um, he was just sharing with me his concerns. And I was trying to articulate, you know, what I was you know, why I believed and everything. But as you know, like it, it, it never really works out that way. People aren't going to understand less of experience it themselves. And I remember anything I tried to bring up, he kind of just, you know, refuted. And um, it was really, really hard for me. Like that meeting, like, because I mean, just the things that I was experiencing, the things that I was feeling were just so, so profound, so amazing. I wanted just like in Lehigh's vision, I wanted my family to be able to experience too. Mm-hmm. And it was a really disappointing, heartbreaking meeting. I remember just, I mean, I normally don't really cry that often, but I was just sobbing. My heart was broken. I went to work that night and I was supposed to wait tables and I was continuing to sob as I started work. And my manager saw me, they're like, just go home, buddy. Like, no worries. And anyway, um, I ended up going, uh, the last kind of big meeting we had was a place in the city of Orange in Orange County. And it's a store called Ex Mormons for Jesus. Oh, and um, yeah, one of those evangelical ministries and um, where they really feel like they need to save their Mormon brothers and sisters. Uh, my dad took me there um, and uh, we met this couple who had been like six generation members who had left the church and they uh, wrote this book called, um, um, it's something about like an, a Mormon's unexpected journey, finding the grace I never knew, something like that. So anyway, we talked to them for like six and a half hours and the ward mission leader of my uh, singles ward was very, very skilled in like talking to critics back and forth. So he, you know, defended uh, the church very well. Anyway, after that, um, my dad, especially was kind of like, hey, thanks, Tony. You know, I appreciate you giving it a little bit of time. I think he, he just kind of wanted to see that uh, Mormons were not some weirdos. Uh, you know, he, he sure. realized that there was a lot of respectable, intelligent people who actually believe in this. So um, he wasn't, they weren't as concerned after that, but they still weren't happy about it. So they came to my baptism. Um, my, my friend from, from high school, who was a member of the church, he had, uh, was with me when I was investigating, but he, he moved back to Hawaii at this time. But he flew, flew down from Hawaii to baptize me. I remember him getting emotional and choked up as he was saying the words, I just had so much support from the singles ward, like a hundred people came to my baptism. Wow. And uh, it was, uh, I remember it was a just incredibly spiritual experience. I, I know it sounds kind of phony, but I really, I know it's just water, obviously when you get baptized, just water, but I tangibly felt and could see the cleansing going on in me. And even my countenance, like I have before and after pictures, there's a lot more light uh, and joy in my countenance than com- compared to, to before. And it was just an, an incredible experience. So I'll pause there for a second, but uh, uh, yeah. 
good, good stuff. It's, it's really uh, neat to look back on it. Yeah, and, and really remarkable the way that you paid respect to the people that are in your home. Sometimes the narrative is, my parents didn't want me to do it, so I left in the middle of the night with a knapsack, and I knew that right. this was what I needed to do, and I haven't spoken with them since, but I know that, you know, there's that whole kind of, like, courageous narrative, and that's not to knock anyone that does it. But All right. but, but I think the far more realistic is that it's like, well... They're my parents, and I, I want to have a relationship with them. But also, I've I've come to to either know or feel to know that this is a thing that I need to do. And I feel like eventually, most parents come around, not necessarily to convert to the faith, but they you know they go listen. Just like you want what's best for your parents, you want them to be happy. I feel like parents, for the most part, will be like, listen, maybe we don't understand, maybe we're not going right. to join you in this endeavor, but you seem really happy. We're glad. Right. Good for you. Go on. Totally. Yeah. And they'd seen that I kind of sometimes have had a, a, a addictive or obsessive kind of uh, patterns in my life where they see that I get really hooked on something for a while. Sure. And they thought that was this might be like that for me and that I might end up leaving. Um, but once they saw it, it was something more permanent in my life, I think they, they appreciate it. So, so yeah, after that, you know, just I, uh, I remember asking the, 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 my fellow high school pastors that I'd become close with, they were concerned for me too, you know, at the church. And I remember bringing them to the Institute and having the missionaries teach them a lesson. And they were kind of like, uh, you know, I don't really know what they, what they thought, but I remember asking one of them, you know, just some stuff about the Bible. Like, I know you guys, you know, they only do baptism by immersion, but they don't have like the gift of the Holy ghost. And I was asking them like, Hey, you know, here in the book of Acts, it talks about how they laid their hands on their head and gave them the gift of the Holy ghost after they were baptized, what do you think about that? And he didn't really have an answer. And I remember asking one guy, like, where do you get your authority kind of thing? And mm-hmm. um, I was kind of into a lot of those like literal type things back sure. in those days, you know, sure. not as much, not as much nowadays, but those are kind of my questions back in the, the, so the next big thing was I wanted to go on a mission. I was, I was 23 essentially when I got baptized and I wanted to go when I was 24 a year later, you have to be at least a year later. And that's kind of the cutoff point, I think, as far as age goes, but um, there were a lot of great return missionaries in my singles ward that were great examples to me. And I was really excited about, about going. I wanted to go. This was a big devastation for my, my, my family. They, uh, when I, when I, when I dropped that bomb on them, the baptism was enough, but, um, you know, they had not been preparing their whole lives to just not see me for two years, you know? So, well, and, and on, in addition to that, not, not really talk to you. I mean, not too much. Right. Uh, exactly. I- interesting though. Cause I mean, with the, the age of conversion, like a lot of people would give you a pass, right? Oh, he didn't come to the church till he was older. That's right. fine. He doesn't, you know, not that anyone needs to, uh, I love that yeah. people do serve missions, but we do certainly have that attitude of the 19 and 20 year old where it's like, yeah, you need to do this. 23. Nah, you're fine. Get, right, get married, right. have kids. That's going to be your mission. Exactly. Yeah. My, my institute teacher is very influential on me. He, he, I think he just was really selling it to me as far as the, you know, the, the benefits that I would be able to get all, all the ways that I would be able to grow and sure. all that kind of stuff. Sure. So, um, so yeah, uh, it was tough. They were, they were not happy about it. And, um, where did you, you know, serve? Was, so, yeah. Um, so I ended up serving in the Mexico city North mission. Um, and, um, there was kind of a pretty cool little miracle that happened right before I left. So, um, they, they dropped me off at the airport and I was going to go uh, the Long Beach city airport. I was going to go meet my friend, the one who baptized me. I was going to meet him in Utah and spend a day with him. And then he was going to take me to the MTC. But as they were dropping me off, I mean, this is probably one of the most vulnerable moments in my family's life. I mean, the most we had been apart from each other was like two weeks before that. And, and like I said, they had not been gearing themselves up for this their whole lives. So we were all really emotional 
and um, they were about to drop me off. And uh, a really, really cool miracle happened. Um, probably one of the biggest miracles I've ever seen in my life that we still talk about to this day. So a little background, my dad and I have a very uh, special connection and relationship. And one of the ways we connect the most is through music. And um, he's been very influential on me, a lot of his musical uh, bands that he likes. But his his favorite band is a band called the Moody Blues. Mm-hmm. Not sure if you heard of them. Sure. They're uh, very underrated. Okay. Well, they're very underrated. You know, they're in the 60s and 70s. Their, their brand of music is labeled like cosmic rock. They use a lot of synthesizer stuff. Anyway, um, so yeah. And then we were in the airport. They're about to say goodbye to me. And all of a sudden, you know, like I said, it's the most vulnerable moment of our family's life. I mean, our, our hearts are just are so full and so tender at that time. All of a sudden, before they say goodbye, we hear music playing overhead. And usually I don't really notice music playing in an airport. I don't know how often I go through an airport and notice, you know, something playing. But um, so we noticed music playing. And out of the thousands of artists or bands it could have been, it was the Moody Blues, wow. which is, like I said, our number, both of our number one favorite, uh, you know, bands. And, and uh, we have a really special connection together and through music, especially. Um, so that was just incredible to us. But a step further beyond that, the Moody Blues have over 100 songs probably, but they have one song that has a specific title that would kind of apply to what's going on, was going on in this situation. And it was the song called, I Know You're Out There Somewhere. I know you're out there somewhere, somewhere, somewhere. I know you're out there somewhere, somewhere. And at that moment, when we're wondering, like, what's going on, God, like, he's about to go on a mission, all of a sudden that song was playing, I know you're out there somewhere. And we were just like, I mean, I had to leave, so we didn't really have time to process it. Um, but we still think about that to this day, at just like, wow, I mean, <laughs> how amazing is that? What, what, are, what are the odds? Uh, it doesn't prove that God exists, but it's uh, a pretty, pretty amazing, uh, what are the odds kind of thing. And, you know, the way I interpreted it was kind of like, oh, you know, that, that's God telling you guys that the church is true, you know, yeah. but I think they just kind of interpret it as, well, that's just God telling us that, you know, everything's going to be okay. You can be at peace. So yeah. anyway, yeah. that was a pretty, pretty uh, amazing experience. Uh, I want to take a break real quick here. We'll come back in the second half and I want to make sure that we find out about how this uh, Institute teacher is now your father-in-law, how yeah. you, how you get married. <laughs> we're going to run out of time, I guarantee. Uh, and we're also going to talk about the restoration table uh, project that Tony's working on. We'll come back and do that in the second block of the cultural hall. Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. A busy, full summer from Best DJ in Utah. Go to BestDJinUtah.com. Why, that is me, Richie T., and I would love to be able to play music at your upcoming wedding or maybe you're having a company party, or maybe you're thinking already for the holiday party, whatever it is that's on your schedule, you should get the number one highest rated DJ for the state of Utah. Now, I know you're thinking, I don't even live in Utah, Richie. Would you ever do an event in Washington State? Oh, I've already done that before. Would you ever do an event in California? Been there too. How about Louisiana? Uh Uh-huh. Texas? Yes. 
point is, uh, you know, you, you throw shekels my way, I'll come to wherever you're at. We could even combine it and make it an episode of the Cultural Hall. Mind blown. If you are in need of a DJ at all or someone in your family is getting married, would like to be able to talk to me, I would love to be able to talk to them. It's bestdjinutah.com. Hey, this is Dan the Laptop Man from PC Laptops. Friends, I know a lot of you guys and girls are working from home. So here's some tips for making sure your computer's ready for working at home, because if your computer fails, it's going to be really hard to get it fixed because of dwindling supply and parts. But we have parts right now, and we have a limited supply of new computers available for you. Make sure your computer is healthy and virus and malware-free. Hackers are trying to infect people and stealing their information during these challenging times. We'll scan the health of your computer for viruses and malware, plus scan your hard drive, memory, and components to make sure you don't have any failing parts. You want to make sure you have strong antivirus and malware protection software as well. Just get into any PC laptops and we'll check your hardware and your software and scan your computer for viruses for absolutely free. Just go to PCLaptops.com. At PC Laptops, we've been serving you for over 28 years and we've got your back during these times of need. We're all in this together. So just go to PCLaptops.com and we'll get you taken care of. Here in the second block of the Cultural Hall, I want you to become a Patreon saint of the Cultural Hall. I have said it. Now I'm going to encourage you to do it. You go to patreon.com forward slash the Cultural Hall. Uh, it's where you can be a part of the secret but not sacred Facebook group that we've established. Plus, you can get the back row catalog. That's the first 300 plus episodes of the Cultural Hall. What, when you've been doing it 10 years, you have a bunch of episodes that you have long forgotten or likely never knew existed. Go to patreon.com forward slash the Cultural Hall. You also get to see the videos from these interviews that we do. And like, for example, with this one with Tony, you'd be able to see that he has a cross behind his head in the room which he's recording, which I have to ask you before we get back into your story, tell me the quick story about the cross that's on the wall behind you. Oh, right, yeah. Well, I'm actually at my parents' house right now. Um, I dropped my girls off this morning. They, I drop them off on Saturday mornings a lot uh, to, to be with my parents. So I, I just, it was perfect timing to just uh, record this. I'm in my dad's office here. So Oh, nice. And my, my parents are are uh, very, very strong Christians. So Yeah, it's a it's a good-looking cross. And, uh, you know, we've had recent conversation here in the Cultural Hall about the symbology of the cross and within the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I thought yeah. it was maybe just a bold move on your behalf. It's a beautiful cross, though. People will have to become a patron saint to see it. All right, pick it up. Now, here's here's where we're at. You've said goodbye to the airport. You're gonna and uh, the Moody Blues, which what a great song, by the way, great band. Yeah. And you're right, oh, very, yeah. very underrated. People look them up, put them on your Spotify playlist. Uh, you're flying out to Salt Lake so you can be with that friend, and he's gonna take you to the MTC. Let's do it. Yeah, well, it was just an incredible mission. I'll, I'll just kind of sum it up in, in a quick way. But uh, the people in Mexico, I always, I always say, are are much more humble, funny loving and full of faith than like the average person that I know around here. I mean, it was just an incredible experience. Uh, a lot of miracles, a lot of spiritual experiences, a lot of great friends made and, and uh, conversions, being able to help people to, you know, uh, come to Christ and, and uh, improve their, their family relationships. And it was just uh, an incredible experience. Uh, and uh, so I went on my mission. Was, I have to was, say, I, 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 oh, yeah, go ahead. Well, yeah. So my, my current wife, I, I met her a few months after I got baptized. So I got baptized. I met her a few months later. She came down from BYU to go to one of her dad's summer classes. Uh -huh. And um, so, yeah, like I said, my, my father-in-law now was my, my institute teacher. So she came down to the Long Beach State Institute and I was taking classes from Brother Johnson. And uh, he introduces me to his daughter. And, you know, we uh, we ended up hanging out a little bit and getting to know each other. 
but I was going on a mission. So I went on a mission. And uh, when I got home from my mission, um, it was actually uh, a pretty cool experience just to kind of do a little side tangent. But when I got released from my mission, my parents came to my releasing and um, I wasn't really prepared for this. I just thought the stake president was going to say, hey, you know, thank you, elder. You've had a great mission, you know, and I thought everything was going to be fine. But uh, he, he even prepared me a little bit. He's like, OK, are you ready for this? And I'm like, what are you, ta- what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm ready for this. But maybe I don't know. I think I think he already kind of knew, you know, how it can be kind of an emotional thing, you know, for missionaries. So but really, I did feel this tangible power when he said the words like elder, you know, thank you so much. You, you know, you now being released, whatever he said. I literally felt like something like being torn from my heart, like, mm. and all of a sudden, without me even trying at all, my face and my heart, everything just turned into like this sad, painful feeling. And I was like crying. My parents were crying. I could literally feel like something being torn out of me. Like it was, it kind of almost like a, a, a testimony to me of the the reality of, of priesthood power and authority. Anyway, yeah. it, was a, it was a really, really neat experience, but I was very interested to see my, my, uh, my friend, her name's Afton. Um, I was interested to see if she was dating anyone. I knew she hadn't gotten married. Um, so anyway, we, we, we reconnected, became friends. It turned out she was dating someone. So she, she wasn't available, which was, was uh, tough. Boo. I know. I know. So <laughs> the funny part about that though, is I started dating someone and getting serious. And then Afton broke up with that guy and was like, Hey, I'm ready to date you. And I'm like, Oh, sorry. My turn now I'm dating someone. Yeah. Else. So, <laughs> um, it, we kind of uh, evened each other out there. So, but eventually I ended up breaking up with a girl and um, we hit it off and got married and we've been married now for nine years and, and have two little girls, like I was saying. And um, I've just continued to be active in the church and I'm a ward mission leader now. And um, uh, I'm a teacher. Like I said, I started this club at school called no one sits alone where we go around at lunch and try to talk to people who are sitting alone. I have a really big heart for that. Like I was mentioning to you, I had experienced some bullying and depression in middle school and high school and often was alone at lunch. So uh, I, I try to, to help that out with that at my school. And um, I teach history and Spanish as well. So, wow. um, so the next kind of phase was, uh, you know, um, I had never really fully looked into the criticisms of the church. Obviously, I told you I went through that refiner's fire at the beginning where I was throwing a bunch of stuff at me, but I'd never really given it a lot of consideration. So um, I kind of thought to myself at some point, I'm like, you know, what? if somebody buys something on Amazon, they're going to look at the positive and the negative reviews right sure, before they sure, invest sure. their money in something. So um, I had a friend who was kind of going down the rabbit hole, as they say, and, and trying to look, you know, look into church history and stuff. And I was like, hey, you know, I don't want you to be alone. I'll, I'll go walk down this road with you. So, you know, long story short, I ended up realizing that there there's a lot of messy stuff out there. Um, yeah. Sometimes the, the, criti- the critics have uh, better, more compelling arguments than I originally thought. And um, there, I, I really feel like... Uh, you know, I, I used to kind of think everything was black and white and perfect, but um, I, I feel like there there have been a lot of mistakes made. Um, number one, there, there, you know, uh, I'm definitely a lot more flexible in my view of what a prophet is now. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I still believe in the restoration that God's guiding the church, but um, there's definitely a lot of, you know, stuff that you could look at and say, well, that, that seems pretty disturbing, problematic to me. At the same time, of course, we don't know exactly what happened in history. You know, sure. even We're looking at it with our now eyes on. Yeah. You know. So. Um, I think there's enough out there to know that, yeah, there's been mistakes that have made and there's, there's some disturbing stuff. And, but in my mind, that doesn't discount the church from being true. I know other people, um, you know, have different, different, uh, takes on that, but, um, so, uh, fast forward to now, you know, I, I love building bridges. I love doing interfaith work. Um, ever since I joined the church, I always talk about how I've never stopped investigating. I love learning about all things, religion, spirituality, especially within the church. And, um, there's just a lot of inspiring, beneficial stuff out there that that's just neat to learn about. And I think it's good, you know, uh, it's just beneficial in our lives when, when we practice it. Sure. Um, and I love building bridges with people of other faiths. So 
eventually at some point I thought to myself, I want to start a podcast or I want to start a YouTube channel or something where I can share all the stuff that I've been learning. Cause literally it's just like an obsession. I, I spend probably like 40 hours a week, you know, <laughs> while I'm exercising on my way to work, whatever, you know, as I'm falling asleep, listening to podcasts or reading articles, books and stuff like that. So I've gathered together a lot of stuff. I don't just listen to them. I pause when I hear something that's significant and I put it into Scratch a document or something. Sure. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I've got, you know, over like a hundred documents that I've made and, I want to start sharing that stuff. So I started a YouTube channel uh, back in like November and I called it the restoration table. And uh, there's a lot of media outlets that use the name Mormon or Latter-day Saint, whatever. So I wanted it to be kind of unique. I like the word restoration because, you know, not only does it have to do with what Joseph Smith started, but kind of the, the larger project of restoring and gathering together all truths from everywhere. Right. And all peoples and stuff like that. And then the idea of a table, you know, that's, that's how Jesus built build a bridge you know that's how he was building bridges with other people he was homeless and he's like hey dinner at your house tonight right let's, yeah. <laughs> let's, let's sit at the table and uh let's talk about things and food really brings people together so the whole idea of a potluck we, we bring together all the stuff that we love and we share it and um I, I ended up actually creating a Facebook group as well. And that's actually taken up more of my time than the YouTube channel. So I'm only putting out like one video every two months on the YouTube channel. But the Facebook group has actually been more of, a, of what I've been interested in. So the whole idea, you know, I, I kind of noticed that there's this void on the Internet. There's there's all these echo chambers, as they call them, right, where mm -hmm. people that are like minded, you know, either all active members of the church or all former members of the church, whatever. You know, obviously it happens with politics as well, too. There's too much of this us versus them mentality. We make each other out to be monsters, right? Um, things get too polarized. People talk past each other, especially online. Um, it makes me really sad to see that. Why do we need to let these things divide us so much, right? right. Um, we're still brothers and sisters. We still have so much in common, right? Why don't we focus on that? And why don't we learn how to be able to talk about our differences and stay calm? I think there's a, a big lack of emotional intelligence nowadays. I, I'm not perfect at it, but I feel like it's kind of one of my God-given talents to be a peacemaker, my dad's a marriage and family therapist, like I mentioned. So I think I've learned a lot of great principles from him. And so I really want to bring people together. And especially, you know, I've, I've learned a little bit more lately that um, obviously, as everyone knows, more and more people are leaving religion nowadays, including ours. Right. Right. And a lot of times when people leave, um, sometimes they're angry and they're not always the, they kind of attack the church. And, and um, but a lot of times they, they, they're not that way, but they get judgment from the other side. Right. And people who are still in judge them or, or there's some, you know, turning a cold shoulder and, and not necessarily maybe shunning them like in other religions, but I mean, it depends on the family. Some people have some sad stories where, yeah, where you know, it's a legit shunning other people just oh, don't yeah. understand. So they just shelf it and don't deal with it. Exactly. Yeah. So, and that, that makes me sad as well, because yes, I know it's like a, it's a, it's a pretty big thing. You know, you're thinking to yourself, Oh man, like um, I'm never going to be able to be in the celestial room with them again now, or are we going to be together in the next life? I, I realize it's heavy stuff, but at the same time, there are ways where we can still preserve those relationships and even deepen them, even in the midst of our, our new religious differences with our loved ones. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'm all about, you know, because there's all these Facebook groups where, you know, as soon as somebody leaves the church, they're no longer welcome in those Facebook groups or sometimes they no longer feel welcome in their social circles and their ward and stake. And I, I, I don't want it to be that way. I still want us to be able to retain those people in our social circles and still wrap our arms around them and say, hey, like, let's still let's still be brothers and sisters. Let's still hang out with each other. Let's still celebrate and unite and work on the common ground that we still have, which is probably a lot more than people think, right? Right. And I think people have, they deserve the dignity of being heard and being listened to and understood, even if we still disagree with their perceptions or their conclusions. But um, one of my favorite books is that book called Bridges, Ministering to Those That Question. 
sold a Deseret book. Mm -hmm. It's a really, really great one that teaches active members of the church how to do better at listening and and understanding. So, um, so a couple of reasons why I started the YouTube channel, the Facebook group. Number one, I mean, I want to share all the, what I call the greatest gems of the restoration, all the stuff that I love, the inspiring, beneficial stuff. At the same time, I also, my, my number two purpose, I have two main goals is I want to build bridges of understanding and friendship and compassion with other people who have different views whether or not they're former members of the church or members of other faith or whatever, because I think that's what Zion's all about. That's the the project of Zion, right? Mm-hmm. Um, is coexisting together as a human family and, you know, not letting our differences cause us to, to argue with each other. Right. And all this vitriol and everything. So um, it's been good. Um, it's a little bit hard, obviously to try to have these conversations with such a diverse group online, you know, sure. sure. There's been some contention and things, especially over some hot button issues like the LGBTQ issue. Um, but, uh, there's also been a lot of really great things that have, that have happened. Um, I've got a pretty good admin team in the group now where, um, we have like, there's like 10 men, 10 women, 10 active members of the church, 10 former members of the church. So we have different people on the LGBTQ spectrum. So we have a pretty good diversity in the admin team. Um, it's growing by about 20 people per week. We have almost 400 people in the group now. That's awesome. And there's been a lot of really great bridge building things where people are trying to really reach out across the aisle and learn from each other. And I think at the end of the day, you know, we're just going to be better off for it. We're going to meet new friends. We're going to learn new ideas. We're going to connect with people. We're like, Oh, Hey, you like that too. I like that too. Let's talk about it. And maybe we're going to see where some of our blind spots have been. If we're, if we're willing to get outside of our comfort zone a little bit, yeah. we're going to learn about some of our, our blind spots. Cause we all have them. Um, you know, there's that book called, uh, the righteous mind, why good people are divided by politics and religion. Uh-huh. And I think it can be hard for people sometimes to realize that there are reasonable, intelligent reasons that people have who disagree with you. I mean, yeah. to be a Republican or a It's a, a lot Democrat, easier just to paint that person as a dummy that, oh, you just don't exactly. get it. If you could be more enlightened like I am, you would clearly exactly. come to so, this. We're trying to bring we're trying to bring the walls down and um it's it's been a it's been a it's been a really uh it's been a really fun thing. Uh we're trying to take things to the next level though and not just have online conversations, but we want to, you know, have like Zoom chats in the group so we can see each other's face or, you know, we want to do other things together like we want to um you know, raise, raise money for different charities together, like pick cool. charity one, once a month, that'll bring us together. Or, um, you know, we're going to start, we're going to be starting a book club in June and do a, a book a month and talk about that. Something else that we want to do also is these on, online things are great, but it's a lot more beneficial if people can have in-person meetings, you know? Sure. So as we know, the church has all these, all these support systems that they've made for people like addiction recovery and marriage and family therapy and, you know, employment and uh, self-reliance and all that. But some of the elephants in the room, I think, that still, you know, haven't been met. There's really two big voids that I see at the warden stake level. And that is, in every warden stake, there's, you know, probably dozens, if not hundreds of people who are struggling with questions and doubts, right? Sure. Um, and a lot of times they don't feel like anybody is equipped to even answer their questions or talk to them about it. Or they might feel like they're the only one. Or if they bring it up, they're going to get, you know, seen as a critic. So a lot of these people feel alone and it can be just a harrowing experience or some people just leave, leave the church because they feel like their new views, you know, they still feel like maybe they want to stay in the church, but now they have some new ideas and they feel like, oh no, I'm not going to fit into this cookie, you know, cookie cutter thing. Right. So there's that. There's also, you know, the Pew Research Forum has, has shown that 4.5% of people identify on the LGBTQ spectrum. So that means in an average ward of 300 people, that's 13 people who identify like that. And it's not just their burden, but their families as well. Right. And a lot of times, same thing. They don't feel like they have the support or the understanding and they don't feel like they can stay in the church. So I think it would be pretty cool. I don't know if it's going to happen one day if if the church came up with some kind of, um, you know, stake sanctioned support system. So people can have support groups 
And I know that there's individual awards and stakes that are improvising and doing things like that. Sure. But we also want to help people in the group to train them, to empower them, to talk to their local stakes and leader, you know, leaders to see what kind of revelation they can maybe receive about doing stuff like that. So we want to kind of take things to the next level in the group and not just have conversations, but do stuff together and act so we can uh, improve, improve life for other people. So yeah. that's kind of a summary of, of what I'm all about. And it's, it's, it's been, uh, it's been, it's been, it's been fun to get out there and connect with people and meet new people. And yeah. It's cool to know that uh, there are people like yourself that are out there trying to do big, you know, it's, it's heavy lifting, but with lots of people helping out. Uh, it's called The Restoration Table, and people can find and subscribe, and I encourage you to do so, uh, both on YouTube as well as there's that Facebook group. Uh, the The Restoration Table is how you find it, and then uh, you can be a part of it. Now, Tony, you know from listening that there are three questions that everyone who steps into the cultural hall answers, so I will ask those of you right now. The first Sounds question good. is, and I, we, you already said it within, but I'll allow you the opportunity <laughs> to say it uh, uh, again. Uh, do you have a calling right now, and if so, what is it? I do, and I am the ward mission leader. If you could pick a calling for yourself, either one that exists or make one up, what would you pick? I would like to be in charge of uh, one of those support groups I talked about, the stake level. I knew the, it. I could have predicted it, Tony. <laughs> the the uh, final question that we ask everyone and ask you to interpret it however you may, uh, the question remains is, what is your favorite part of your faith? I love that. Um, you know what? Um, my favorite part of my faith, I would say, is just the manifestations of the love of God. Um, just the the evidences of divinity that I can see all around. You know, the Book of Mormon has helped me realize that God loves everyone in all times and all places, right? And the experiences that I've had with myself and other people have just helped me to learn that God does love us and he speaks to us in really individual and special ways. And just the evidence I see all around me of this beautiful earth and my beautiful, precious daughters and um, the precious junior high students that I interact with just help me realize that there is a loving, divine presence in this universe that I can see all over the place. And I see a lot of it in the church and I love interacting with a lot of it. As you know, Joseph Smith, he was all about bringing everything in. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's not just in our church, kind of like a protractor in, in math class where you have one point in the very center. So I have one, one foot planted center in the gospel and the other foot kind of like the other part of the protractor is sweeping all around the earth to just gather in all, all the good stuff together. That's what I'm all about. And, um, that's my final answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, we hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body, that if you're not healthy enough to listen this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week, and that when the time comes, you'll be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, Brother Brent, Ken Williams, and BigMikesProducts.com will be saving a seat for you on the back row of the Cultural Hall. Save me a seat, it's sure to be neat. On the back row, we really gotta go on the Cultural Hall show.